You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 88 of Take a Vow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and honestly, not even like trying to sell this or anything, but this is genuinely one of my. F- this is genuinely one of the most anticipated podcast episodes that personally I've wanted to do. Um, since I began this entire journey with Take A Bow. And uh, I know that I I have gotten a lot of requests for this guest um, just because of how special this relationship uh, is that I have with him. Um, We have none other than literally one of my all-time favorite people. And once again, that's not an exaggeration. I mean that with every ounce of the word. We have Julius Rubio joining the podcast today, and you may have seen Julius most recently on the big screen in West Side Story as Kike, or you could have seen him in Finding Neverland, where you may have seen me. You could have seen him in On Your Feet. You could have seen him in Moulin Rouge. Uh, You could have seen him in so many things. Uh, He's done so many wonderful things, and we talked about... uh, We talked a lot about um, Finding Neverland specifically. Um, We talked a lot about Moulin Rouge specifically, as well as West Side Story. Uh, But he has been in so many other incredible works, all while climbing the ladder to to get to where he is today as a principal and lead role in West Side Story, and as well as a uh, understudy for a principal uh, in Moulin Rouge, which is the first time, and we talk all about that. But he was also in Frozen. He was also in Escape to Margaritaville. He was also in Come Fly Away, Wonderland. Um, he's been in several Broadway shows, and um, unfortunately, we didn't get to talk about all of them. But don't worry. I have a feeling that he's going to come back on, and we're going to be able to talk a lot more about it in a future episode. Um, but this is just an amazing episode, and uh, I know that this is going to be one that is going to be uh, certainly enjoyed to uh, kind of see the relationship it was a lot about relationships to this episode, uh, specifically with he and I, um, with him and Mia Michaels, and how um, having a relationship uh, is is just so pivotal in this industry as it is such a, a people industry. And so um, really maintaining and holding on to relationships is really important in order to succeed and to uh, grow as an artist and as a person in this industry. Um, so it's just, it's a bunch of great stuff, uh, as well as some real talk um, with how um, how his life and how um, you know uh, pr- productions are and how they they portray dancers and um, 
uh, as f- how they portray, I, I guess, the difference of, of dancers and, I guess, actors, I guess you could say. Um, at the end of the day, we're all kind of acting and doing the same thing. Dancers actually are doing a little bit more because they're they're the ones telling it with their body as well as their face. And we kind of only have to do it with our face. Um, and then, of course, sometimes our voice. But huge credit to dancers. And uh, he talks a lot about that. And uh, it's just a great episode. And I know you guys are going to enjoy it. And we talk a lot about uh, all the amazing things that's going on right now that's super uh, relevant to the industry. So um, before we turn it over to that, I want to talk about what's happening in Broadway or on Broadway um, and in Broadway news in general. Um, I just want to say quickly, uh, I saw Little Shop of Horrors this past weekend. Freaking loved it. It was my second time seeing it. I saw it with Jonathan Groff, uh, but this time I saw it with Conrad Ricamora. And uh, honestly, thought he was fantastic. I mean, this guy was perfect for this role. He played it so genuinely. And so honestly, that it was just, it was incredible. It really was like watching him and he totally became Seymour. Um, You know, he, it it didn't even matter like what he sounded like just because he was such a great storyteller and he had an incredible voice, Uh, but you can tell he wasn't like necessarily musically trained, um, which I actually, I actually really enjoyed uh, because it was just so raw and it was so uh, just wonderfully uh, honest in, in, in himself. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And we saw an understudy play the role of Audrey, which she was incredible. Her name was Jana Jackson, and she freaking killed it. Um, shout out to you. Shout out to the understudies and swings keeping these shows alive. Um, it was like their 500th show um, in in the New York and at the at the West Side Theater where they are currently at. Um, and it was just, it was just a great, it was a great night. Obviously, Christian Borough was amazing. I've said it a million times. He's so good in that show. I mean, my God, his, his work in that show is just unbelievable. Um, but it was awesome to see an understudy play the lead role. Um, she gave a whole new dynamic to Audrey. I actually really, really enjoyed uh, Janet Jackson's portrayal of Audrey. Um, and, uh, I definitely hope that, uh, more people will be able to see her and she, maybe she goes on a little bit more because I, I honestly, I was, I was really, I was drawn to her the entire show. Um, she was incredible. Great actress, great singer, everything. Um, good stuff. Little shop. Awesome. And I was glad to see, I was really excited. Um, it was a wonderful audience that night. And, uh, I think a lot of it were uh, friends of hers, which I thought was awesome because anytime she did anything like a song or whatever, like we were hearing claps and we were hearing uh, some shout outs and woos and all of the things. It was just really cool. It was a great, it was a great environment, great energy, everything. And, uh, it was selling really well, which it, which was great to see, uh, because, like the other shows I've seen, like MJ and the other shows that I've mentioned here the past couple of weeks, um, haven't been sold out. And and that was completely that it was basically completely sold out. I mean, there was like one seat in front of me, and very exciting stuff because I actually read the Broadway, um, the 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 numbers this week for Broadway, and it actually rose. It's uh, it's up a full ten percent um, from last week as far as the capacity of tickets being sell- sold. Um, and uh, theater capacity being filled. Um, it was awesome. It was great to see. It's now at 
hopefully we can continue to grow that at a steady rate. Um, that would be awesome and get Broadway back to where it, it always should be. And uh, very exciting stuff for, for Broadway. And just I, I, I'm happy to see that more people are kind of willing to come to New York and go see shows or just go see shows in general. Um, so it's great to see. And once again, that is an average 75%. So if you do go see a show, it's not guaranteed to, to be 75%. So don't be surprised if it's not full. And don't be surprised if it is fully full. Because, um, you know, some people may be selling at 100% and some people may be selling at 50%. So uh, it, it, it's obviously going to vary. So that that's just the average of all the shows. Um, which is which is great. Uh, it's seventy five percent is is a fine average. Um, hopefully, though, we can continue to to get that one up. So, with that being said, there's lots of stuff to talk about. I mean, assassins. Unfortunately, COVID is still uh, affecting our our community and shows. Um, unfortunately, I, I was able to see assassins. I talked about it last week. Actually, um, loved it. That too was also that uh, that was also selling really well, um, which was great to see. And um, Assassins, unfortunately, closed uh, closed early. I'm not sure if it was this Sunday or this coming Sunday, but I do know that they were going to close recently. And unfortunately, they already had to close down. Um, I, unfortunately, one of our Take About guests, uh, Judy Kuhn, uh, actually tested positive. And I guess after after that came out, I guess a couple other tests came back positive. And they were like, you know what? We're, we're closing anyways. Let's just close down now. And unfortunately, they didn't get that last performance that they all thought they were going to have. Uh, beautiful show. Uh, unfortunately, if you didn't get to see it, hopefully they, they bring it back. And hopefully I understand it a little bit more when they do bring it back. Um, very, very interesting concept. Um, but some people really like it. And I, I loved seeing the audience that did. Um, and how moved they were by it. And um, shout out to everyone who was in Assassins, because like I said last week, those people, those performances were just unforgettable. Um, they were really great, really brilliant. And um, I'm, I'm sad to see that close early. Um, and hopefully everyone who who wanted to see it was able to have the chance to see it. So uh, shout out to Assassins and everyone involved in that show. Um, we have, once again, like a show closes and a new one comes. We have uh, talks about Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella coming this fall. <laughs> Guys, it's crazy that we're in 2022. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella aims for fall 2022 Broadway transfer. We talked a lot about this production and uh, what it was doing in the UK and the reimagined version and everything like that. Um, so it's very exciting to see that it's going to be coming to Broadway. Not shocked because of the all the open theaters and all of the shows that have been closing. Um Great stuff for Andrew Lloyd Webber. I mean, he's going to have another show on Broadway. Uh, very exciting for all Andrew Lloyd Webber fans, which I know are a majority of the the Broadway community. Hopefully that'll continue to, to bring folks over to New York and see Broadway shows. And hopefully when they're in New York for the weekend, they see multiple Broadway shows and continue to grow the, the, uh, the theater's capacity, which would be wonderful. Um, and then of course, Jonathan Freeman takes his final bow. Oh, I don't like saying that. I like saying take a bow, not final bows. Um, unfortunately he took his final bow in Aladdin. He has been in this show since it opened he's been doing it for over seven years um which is incredible by the way um and 
Jonathan Freeman, for those of you who don't know, um, he plays Jafar, or he played Jafar in Aladdin on Broadway, but he also voiced Jafar when he was doing it in the movie. He is the only person to ever play Jafar, and now he is turning it over to the seven-year understudy and standby for Jafar, um, who's been with the show uh, all this time with him. So very exciting stuff. But unfortunately, Jonathan Freeman did take his final bow. He was incredible as Jafar. I mean, obviously, like, that's his baby. But, like, he was great live, too. Um, so that was exciting. Um, Sierra, Sierra Boggess and Chip Zian will... Uh, is was announced that they will be leading the cast of Barry Manilow the musical Harmony um at the Yiddish Theater. So keep an eye out for that one. I mean Andrew Lloyd Webber's reimagined Cinderella who said Barry Manilow's musical can't be on Broadway because we're seeing a lot of that. We are seeing plenty of of famous musicians come to Broadway which is great and also, not so great at the same time because we want original work, but that's okay because this is still technically original work. So, uh, and it's just it's a show and it's art and it's gonna be on Broadway and it's gonna be amazing. Um, so very exciting. And with those names, I mean, it's bound to be good, right? Sierra Bogus, um, Chipsy and Legends, um, and then of course we have uh the Skeleton Crew. The Skeleton Crew actually opened yesterday if you're listening to it the day this came out sorry process that for a second um i was supposed to go to the red carpet for that and provide some uh exciting content and entertainment with that however unfortunately things didn't work out and uh we won't be giving you about that but i will be giving its review when i do go see the show um i'm excited for this one i'm excited dominique morso is one of my favorite uh playwrights and maybe my favorite uh bipoc playwright and uh, I love all of her work, and I'm excited to to go see this beautiful story that's being told. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool, and uh, it's exciting time for for Broadway to hear these stories. Um, so check out Skeleton Crew if you haven't. Uh, well, yeah, I mean if you haven't, because it is in previews and now it's opened. And if you weren't go to if you weren't at opening night, go see it another night. Um, and yeah, it's gonna be great. I'm I'm really excited for it. I've heard a lot of great things about it and uh the the critics are liking it and so hopefully that has a a nice long run uh, over at the manhattan theater club which is also one of a great spot to go seek theater um well that's all i have for the news and everything going on i know that was a lot i know i talked a lot um i'm just so excited so i think this is a good time to turn it over to julius um so without further ado julius rubio curtain up i've been waiting so long to say that okay so this week we are joined by the hardest working performer on broadway not only can he do it all as a triple threat uh, but he is one of broadway's greatest leaders to have in a company now he's both a Broadway and movie star, uh, as many of you can see him in like one of his six Broadway shows or in The Greatest Showman or West Side Story, just everything, what a resume. Uh, anyways, welcome to Take a Bow, the best secret Santa and the hardest person to ever say goodbye, Julius Anthony Rubio. It is me. It is you. It's happening. 
listen i literally when this whole thing started it was like who's one of the like who do you want to have on and like you're so good at this top of you were the top of the list seriously i'm so excited for this literally i just catching up with you a little bit beforehand it's just like everything it's it's a dream and it's taking me back and it's making me so happy um but anyways enough of that let's talk about you and let's talk about your story and everything because it's it's amazing um I I usually like to start and ask people like why they are in this industry like what made them want to tell stories and do this incredible art that we that we do um I always when people ask me this question I always have two different answers one Uh is like the real answer and one is like the let's get to the next question answer. I'm going to give you the real one. Oh my God, I'm honored. The real one really was, I started acting when I was 10 years old, when I was really, really young. And it was something that I felt really connected to. And really, it didn't really skyrocket until I was maybe 14, 15 years old, where Long story short, I lived in a homeless shelter. My family had lost their homes. And when we were going through this whole experience, one of my friends in school had asked me to go to her dance studio because we were in theater together. And she was like, well, we were in drama class together and we were learning about musical theater. And this was Mm. my last semester of my eighth grade year when everything kind of took place. And um, she was like, you know, we're about to study doing musical theater numbers. And I remember I ended up getting assigned (laughs) telephone hour from Bye Bye Birdie. And I watched the movie over and over and over. And I picked up choreography and I learned how to teach myself how to dance per se. Mm. And I remember placing the choreography and remounting it before I even knew what the word remounting was back when I was a little, 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 chubby little middle schooler. (laughs) And, um, it really, really spoke to me in a way that that's how my friend invited me to go to a dance studio. And then by that point, wow. my parents had separated. We had lost one house. We downsized to another. And then when we couldn't afford that house, we ended up going to the shelter down in Homestead, Florida. And I was there for maybe a little over a year. I mean, like, what, 16, 14 months? And it's not a hotel. You work with caseworkers. You have to, you know... You can't check in after 7.30 p.m. and you can't leave before 7.30 a.m. unless you have certain permits from your caseworker. And in my case, I had a dance studio that had me on a scholarship. And it was my legit ticket out. And I would be able to come and go whenever I wanted because I was always at the studio. And, you know, it was the first time in that time that I didn't understand what was going through my family's life and I genuinely thought that not to get too deep about it that God has something against me or my family Mm -hmm. and I got into it because it was the one thing that in the chaos of my life I had control over I was a bit of uh I I was a bit of a delinquent I still kind (laughs) of am because you could take the boy to Miami but you can't take the Miami out of the boy right and I (laughs) It tames me. It tames me because I didn't have any discipline in my life. Mm. Not saying that my mom and my sister didn't because they were the only two, but with everything else going around, I acted out. And when I started dancing and I started taking ballet class, that was the one place that I could not act out because technique and training and ballet class discipline you to 
really put yourself together and put yourself in a place of achieving dreams that at that moment doesn't feel like it's possible. Mm. So that was a huge culmination of everything going on of like the world and the discipline and the control of dance and everything else in my life that really was kind of like a tornado effect. And once I started really going for just trying to be the best that I possibly could, because my mom in Spanish would always tell me, Si lo vas a hacer, hacerlo con gana. And that means if you're going to do something, you do it with will. And ganar also means with win, to win, victory. And she was very right. Everything that I would do, I had to be the best at it, she would say. And it didn't matter if you knew you were going to do it in 10 years. At least by that night, you knew you did it that best that day. Mm. And that mentality kept still with me. And it was kind of like what they mean by small battles win a big war. And I finally found something that I was good at. And I finally found, well, let me rephrase that. I finally found something at the time that I was not very good at, Mm -hmm. but I was going to figure out how to be great at it because it was the one thing that made me feel untouchable. It made me feel invincible. And the dance and the theater rooms were the safest place in the world for me. So if that's what it made me feel like, then I had one choice and one choice only and it was to continue every single day until it got me somewhere and it got me here that's insane so wait I, that's I, the I, real answer first of all i, I don't know that's the real answer because there was a time that my mom would be like and my mom and my sister would be like stop telling people that we were homeless i'm like i know but it's like a fact because then you know there's right. also like i don't want people to feel sorry for me and i think that was something that i wasn't really trying to trans that i wouldn't really translate years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me because there's nothing to be sorry about it's just that's my damn story right and i don't hide from it and there's a lot of people who are in my shoes now that were then you mm-hmm. know and it's like if i can figure out a way to follow your dreams and work hard for it when in a time that i thought it was impossible could change your life if you really want to. So I think that story for me, when I tell the real answer, it's just really not for anybody to feel sorry for me, but to understand that like, we all have different stories to tell. Right. And I think it's important to tell your story. I never, I don't think I ever knew that about you, <laughs> like honestly. And like, I mean, it's no surprise that you started out as a dancer and like, that was your first kind of love. And that was kind of what you first found. Um, and then of course you, you expanded your abilities. Um, and, and once again, are great at it and, and strived for greatness. Um, but uh, yeah, that's fascinating. So how did you get to New York? Like what inspired, like wh- what was that move? So to, well, I'm glad that I answered you the real way because with that <clears throat> small amount of training after acting when I was younger and then when I first started dancing, like by the eighth grade, I only had like five solid months of, actually, I'll never forget it, that it was the day after Valentine's Day was my audition for New World School of the Arts for oh. high school. And weeks before that, we were jumping from like motel to hotel, trying to figure stuff out, me and my family, my younger brother, my older sister, my mom. Mm. Um, And that morning of the 15th, I only slept for like three hours and she drove me to New World School of the Arts, the Performing Arts High School in downtown Miami. And I only had like maybe five solid months of ballet technical training. (sighs) And I was auditioning to be an incoming sophomore 
at New World. <clears throat> and I remember I went into that audition and of course I was obsessed with the fifth element at the time and the diva song. Mm. And I had to, once you get past the ballet and the modern dance class portion, the center bar portion, you know, that whole jury's moment. <laughs> and then when you finally get to that point where you get to do your solo, I remember <laughs> that song was playing and never in my life did I knew what it felt like to freestyle because in the middle of the number, I completely forgot the choreography. What? And I remember in the middle of it, I was like, well, I made it up to this point. And if they're watching, my mom would say, give him something to look at. And I remember freestyling and improving, not even knowing what it was then, primarily because of the fact that like, it felt so good to be paid attention to like that. Yeah. And it felt so good. And that kind of chemical reaction, what I call it, of like, when somebody gives you the time of day, that's your moment to prove yourself. And that drive and that kind of like, it's not unruly, I don't think, that there's a world that you can work in and that you could be successful in if you are ruthless, but there's a great sense of competition that really pushes and drives you. And I got accepted into performing arts high school. And I remember sophomore, junior and senior year, I was there for the dance division, but then my junior year, I ended up joining the Glee Club because I, by that point I was like, I love modern dance and I love ballet, but at the same time, I was still going to a competition dance studio outside of school on scholarship as well. So I was already training myself to be everywhere. All oh I cared God. about was making up for time lost because I started late. Right. And thankfully for boys, sometimes it's that process is expedited a lot more, but it doesn't need, it need but it doesn't say that you, you have to put the work in. Right. And I was surrounded by a whole bunch of more not educated but more seasoned musical theater kids and ballet kids and I was inundated in a school that changed my life and like the fame school of what it was was the greatest thing to ever happen to me because it opened up my eyes to all the arts and it was a place that I finally was like this place was made for people like me yeah and I was so lucky to have finally not like in the homeless shelter days, not like in middle school days where you hear these terrible stories about kids taunting and ridiculing you. And like, I didn't have that in high school mm -hmm. because everybody was like me. And I, because of New World School of the Arts, I ended up auditioning to do internships and like fellowship programs at Alvin Ailey in the summer or Dance Theater of oh. Harlem. And then when I got into the Glee Club, which was called the New World Connection, you got a chance to perform all these really lovely musical theater like medleys and things like that and you got to miss a lot of school <laughs> and because of performing arts school um it really opened up my eyes and i got a chance to come visit my family in new york and also live here during the summer to be doing dance theater parliament ailey and it really sparked um this seed to come to new york but I remember, side note, before I moved to New York, I ended up moving to LA because there was a group of kids and a group of dancers in, a, in Miami that were, quote, the commercial dance studio, not the musical mm -hmm. theater jazz studio. And that group of kids and those people, I'll never forget them, told me that I wasn't good enough to go to LA. And they told me that I wasn't edgy enough. And they told me that I belong in New York because that's, quote, what you do. Oh. I worked on it. And, and literally what ended up happening is that 
I did a job in Denton, Texas, some off the cuff theater job called Cheer the Musical, where I worked with all of these different choreographers. And that was my first dance captain job. And then working with half the cast from LA, I went back home. I asked all the studio moms of my dance studio for money. And I ended up collecting like $500. I'm like, you know, I'm such a best friend to your daughter and you should give me money because I have no money to, for the LA Julius Fund. <laughs> and I moved to Los Angeles with $600 to my name, two suitcases at 10.30 p.m. at night. And my best friend's mom gave me the ticket because I was dreaming about it so much. And I went out there before everyone else did because everyone in Miami was like, oh, wow, you're not really cut out for this. And I believed them until I realized wait a minute, you're in Miami too, doing the same, forgive my language, shit as me, and you're talking all this and not, okay, this is how I'm going to really do this. I'm going right. to leave before all of you. And mm -hmm. I did. And <clears throat> I always thrive when somebody told me that I wasn't good at something or I couldn't do something. So then I was in LA for about five, six years working out there, doing a lot of like, you know, so you think you can dance and film and TV and like cool jobs, like when that whole dance industry was being born out there. And then I moved to New York through an LA-based choreographer. She is Marguerite Derricks and she choreographs Miss Maisel. She choreographs Glow, like wow. all the Austin Powers films. Like <laughs> Marguerite Derricks is, uh, she is my angel and my savior because I remember she was choreographing a musical for Broadway in LA and she wanted to come to LA specifically to hire and look for talent. And I remember after taking her class so many times, I was like, you know what? this is probably the opportunity that I get a chance to really stand out because she's only seen me dance. She's never seen me sing. She's never seen me act. And when I went in for that audition, ever since that one day, she remembered my name because she met me many times. And that was like a, if Marguerite remembers your name, that means you finally did something right. And I did something just enough right that she booked me on the show and it got me to New York City. And it didn't last very long, what we were talking about before we started recording, that the show didn't last very long, but you know what? So be it, it got me to New York. Right. Proven people wrong, got you to New York. Yeah, I, love I, it. I was like, I, I was like, before I moved to New York, let me move to LA to shut these people up. Right. Because, and if you're listening to this, yes, this one's for you. Yeah, and that's crazy <laughs> that like, you know, God does have a pad. Like the fact that you went to LA, you know, he brought you to New York. Or like, so, like something, the universe brought you to New York. And that's where you were essentially that's always be. where my heart was going to be i love la right I, I loved la when i lived there i think la is very different and it has nothing to do with saying that any coast is better than the other but right it was just um there's such a there's such prestige about when you succeed in new york unlike any other place in the world mm. and there's something especially with our industry where the feedback that is offered or that is in the nature and like the bloodstream of these agencies within our industry means that they really do care about trying to build people to create themselves as bigger entities, bigger artists, better singers, better triple threats. And I really can't say the same kind of relationship as like that in LA. And I believe that, you know, in my opinion, LA will be a fierce gig mm -hmm. and New York will be a fierce career. Yeah. A hard one. LA will always be a gig in New York. You can find longevity and like you can find longevity in LA too, but it's just different. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, I never like thought of it like that, but it's true. Like, I mean, I don't know, like thinking of it as like a gig as opposed to a job and a career is just like, because I, fe- well, I feel it's like-, like what really also drove me to New York was you know, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's such greatness in commercial work too, because I have built a career on that as well. And I'm not right. dogging that too, because we can talk about that in this as well, that like musical theater kids need to be able to transcend themselves into film and theater as well, film and TV as well, which a lot of people are starting to do a little bit more now of, but you'd be surprised that many don't. But with LA, in LA, LA seasoned me, New York disciplined me is what I like to say, because in LA, I will always respect the fact that those kids out there and the way that you train is that you are taught to dance circles around people. Mm. Not like in New York where it's like, you have to kind of fit this cookie cutter attitude and kind of just go through this like conveyor belt of procedure with the way that things go in New York. Right. And you you got to stand out, but don't stand out too much. And you got to really like be in the front, but don't be in the front too much. And like, there's just so much in LA. They don't give a shit about that. They're like, right. literally go off. Yeah. No, yeah, that's all you got. Exactly. And it's, I feel like, I don't know if that, if this is true, but I feel like LA is kind of looked at as like, you know, the music videos and that kind of all that. Commercial industry. Work, for yeah. sure. I wish there was more theater work out there for sure. Yeah, but even the commercial work has its has its skill and perfecting as well. Right, but it, like you said, it's just so gig to gig, like hopping around, and not so much like where New York. You're kind of, I mean, not guaranteed it by any means, but like there is some sort of longevity in New. There's York. more outlet. There's more outlet for long term jobs. Right, exactly. Like Broadway being the number one. Which is like hit or miss too. <laughs> sometimes you're in that door. And sometimes right. that door closes and you're trying to find the keys and you realize they changed the locks. So you gotta right. find more keys. You're like, shit. Right. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with you. Like, do we talk about Neverland? Do we talk about uh, West Side Story? Like, what do you want to talk well, about? Well, I want all your listeners to know that you, Joyce, graced my life in finding Neverland as oh my God. multiple parts. Because you 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 learned Peter's role, right? Yeah. Well, I learned Jack first. You learned Jack first. And, and that, then you were becoming a principal again. Yeah. And then it was stepping into that. And let me tell you, you poor soul, because I'll never forget it. Because I was so embarrassed. Because like Pippin, like it's not, it's nothing. Like there's no dance. There's like circus. And that was like easy for me to pick up for some reason. But Finding Neverland, I mean, it's not even like that dancey, but like We Own the Night was the death of me. 
and I know it was teach for you to teach it to me. You were just like you you like polished me and you made it so what's something that was so frustrating to me and just like why can't I get this? You made it enjoyable somehow. And so like, and now look, now you look back at that experience, you're gonna be like, well, if I was a zygote as 12 years old being able to do right. a dance routine, now look at you. You you should always look back at that moment because then like that means that I did my part. And the thing is, is that at the end of the day, Eli, you're gonna be in my shoes doing that for someone else mm-hmm. in whatever capacity that may be. And I think always, always at the end of the day it comes down to how you take care of other people. Right. Because if we don't instill that with other people underneath us or who are of our colleagues, of our friends, or even our bosses and associates and directors, if you do not take care of them, they're, you're at least for me, you're not leaving a legacy that you want to see later on. It's Absolutely. very hard to be in this industry. It mm-hmm. really, really is. It's very hard to live in New York, period. Yeah. To live in L.A., period, to be in the commercial scene in L.A., period, or both coasts. But if there's one thing that you can definitely try to bring to the world is more humanity, because somehow or some form that's being even that is at risk of of finding people who can just bring that to work. Right. So that makes me very happy because we got you there. Yeah. You got me there, you know, like oh boy, you got, I couldn't, I didn't move your limbs. You weren't no marionette. Oh my God. Come on. No, no, little puppet. no, seriously. But like, you are like, I've said it on here several times that like, you are by far one of the most inspirational people in my life. And like the fact that I was able to like learn from you and go to work every day, watching you and just your mindset and how everything works. Like there were times where I would literally just like watch you for a day and like oh, at a put in or whatever. That time, and the, I mean, there was a lot going on there, especially with uh, the greatness of Mia Michaels. Like she, she asked for a lot, you know, and I don't blame her because she is, she is the unicorn of choreography and like everything that she touches turns to gold is the process a bit difficult sometimes for sure. But like, that's how some of the greatest things are, but it was, it was an interesting job because there was a lot, and I appreciate you saying that because there was a lot that went down behind the scenes that right. as our jobs as leaders, as role models, and also as just professional actors, that's not what, when you walk in through that stage door, you leave that outside, mm. you know? And at the end of the day, it was a, you and the other young gentlemen in the show that were such a huge rock for me. Because at that age, you need to see greatness. And like, I prided myself to make sure that I always came to work on my A-game map because of only Mia, but really because of you boys. Mm. That's how dreams are made. And that's how like work ethics are made. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that like, like you said, we would step foot in in that stage door or rehearsal space or wherever we were. And we would come together as a family and, you know, we would play together, but we would work, you know, Mm -hmm. like we would put in the necessary time and effort and the blood and the sweat and the tears and everything in between to make it an enjoyable work place for each other, you know, like, and it totally didn't feel like that. And there were days that were harder than the others, but like knowing that we were there with each other and had one another like everyone was seen as equals, including a 12-year-old boy up to Kelsey Grammer, who whoever yeah. knows how old he is, you know, like, yeah, there's yeah, like yeah, yeah. regardless of age, regardless of star power or whatever you want to say, like 
everyone was there and everyone did their part and everyone made each other feel like family and it was and it was just really wonderful because you had a family of boys with you You had a family of brothers with you and I think that is very hard to find in a lot of Broadway shows because usually a lot of these shows only have like one kid and then you have Mm -hmm. like maybe three actors or two two young actors in the show but this one we had six yeah at a time there was like seven yes there was yeah it's a really good place to be. It's a really good place where you did a fantastic job in the show. Oh my God. Thank you. But I want to talk about, I want to talk about like your role in the show. I mean, like, as I mentioned, you know, you, you taught people the show. I mean, you were the dance captain, but you weren't like a typical dance captain because you were in the ensemble every night. So not only were you in the rehearsal on stage, baby. Yeah. Like you were, you were fully in the dance, like rehearsal space during the day and then had an hour break to go eat. And then you got to go perform. Like you did not have, who did that? I don't even know if you ate, I know you didn't sleep. I would always make a joke (laughs) about the sign in sheet. I was like, can I just have a sheet that had me sign out? Right. (laughs) That was always in that building. But. Would, would that be filled out? I don't know. I don't think that would get filled out, the sign out I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like you know I'm here. Yeah. So like, Julie, so like, Julie, if you didn't sign in, I was like, shh, texting them. I was like, don't play. Don't give me these games. Yep. You know I'm in the building. <laughs> no, it's, you would literally like come from a rehearsal, like especially like the matinees. And it's like, you're just getting there a five minute call. Cause like, you just, you're just nonstop, you know? And, and you'd still yeah, make the- like, yeah, I'd, I'd show up like five minutes after f- places and be like, yeah. you know, you have a five minute window, right? Like you told me, yeah, I'm going to use all of this time. <laughs> I know. And, but I mean, trust me, but I've always been like that. I've always been like that. I, I, I think that there is, there needs to be a healthy balance of understanding that what you do for your living isn't necessarily your life. It's just your job mm-hmm. and theater can be your life, but your job doesn't have to be right. You know, so it's like, it's a balance because, you know, you have to find some sort of way to disconnect yourself, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's, you learn that as like, you get older and stuff like that. Or even when you're younger, actually, let me not age this because mental health is a real thing. That's yes. all I'm going to say. No um, what yes, amen. Um, let me, but like, talk to me a little bit more about like, you know, being a dance captain, because like I said, like you were on every night, but you took on those swing kind of roles where you were split tracking and doing all the things like talk to me about like what a dance captain does and what all of this what your time was in Neverland so pretty much the dance captain's job is just to keep the integrity of the show to what it was the first time that they said it and when it's fresh and when it obviously comes from you know the creatives mouths and hands and brains themselves Mm -hmm. um you know dance captains are also the type of people type Dance captains are also the people that piece and puzzle shows together when people are out, like how this whole Omicron outbreak happened. And every single time a show went on with all these people out, there is the masterminds between a company manager, Max is kidding, a stage manager and the dance captains really, really making sure that everything is accounted for. And when I mean everything, I don't just mean actors. I mean prop pieces, set changes costume changes backstage, wig changes backstage, mic changes sometimes. So there's an entire village of people that need to know what they're doing. And that information usually comes from the stage managers and the dance captain. Mm-hmm. And people forget that like, even at the same time that like, you know, when you're on stage, especially as an on stage dance captain, 
you can enjoy the show, but chances are your eyes are always 360 peeled back because not only are you still performing and especially trying to present yourself to an audience, right. you're also using that peripheral of keeping the show clean in real time as you're still. And, you know, sometimes you'll be like in the middle of some sort of quick change and you're going through what you're going through. And then another actor's like, hey, can you tell so-and-so to not do so-and-so <laughs> because we all know it should be infiltrated through oh. the dance captain themselves. And sometimes when you're in the heat of the moment, that's the last thing you want to think about is trying to give someone else to know when you're going on for something that you're like, okay. But right. that's, you know, in the beginning with Mia Michaels, who I will never, never, ever, 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 ever not say her name because she is such a huge part of my success and my professionalism and just like my finesse of being in this world. And, you know, she, in the beginning, I was so, I was, I guess you could say not intimidated, but a bit overwhelmed of all the hats that she expects me to wear. But then it quickly dawned on me that the reason why she wants you to wear all these hats is because she knows you can wear all these hats. Mm. And once you make that switch that you're like, wow, the crown weighs heavy, but I'm also really trying to make sure that this crown doesn't fall and more importantly, look really good while you're doing all your work. Right. And there's something to be said about, you know, making sure that you cross all your T's and dot all your I's because when you're in a dance captain position, one thing that you do not have any freedom in is being wrong. Mm. Is not knowing you can, you, there's no, world that you live in as a dance captain that you should not not know something and if you don't know it you need to figure it out and I think that was something that really really changed the game for me as far as not just being a dance captain just then and there but being a dance captain just then and there really infused how my work ethic has completely changed ever since then right if you know everything that you're doing and you know that you're on your a game and your craft is at its pinnacle no one can ever come for you and no one can ever say anything about you. And if they do, it's something personal and it has nothing to do with work. Yeah. And that's they're jealous. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And th- I'm sure there's been many occasions where that's happened to you because of your incredible. I mean, it's happened you know, to me, but like, then I realized I, it's happened to me, but then I like really make the person itself realize that it has nothing to do with me. It has right. to do with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's the nature of our business. At the I, end of the day, just hit the step. Just yeah. hit the step. Hit the note. <laughs> Be great at it. Right. Call the job. Right. And we still need. I'm doing mine. Mm-hmm. So. And and that was one of the things like I mentioned before, like you are by far one of the greatest leaders on Broadway, in my opinion. Um, a lot of it was because like you led by example, you know, like you didn't have to, you, you didn't need to be vocal and you didn't need to like yell at others and get them in their spot. But you were like, you know what, if they're not going to give it, I'm going to give it two times more than what I'm giving right now. And they're going to follow and they're going to see that. And they're going to like, there were like, I don't know, like you really set the tone for the show a, a lot of nights. I, and I feel, um, I don't know if that's something I had that, to. Yeah, I had to, especially because, you know, like not only was I dance captain in the show and this goes for everybody who's also in our, in my position that I was also Mia's assistant. Right. And a lot of the movement was adapted or catered to my body. Mm-hmm. So 
she taught me a lot that like, if I don't operate my body that way, the way that it was intended since day one, and you mark or something like that, guess what happens? People are going to see you mark and they're going to do it like you, how you mark. And then what happens is that my job is at stake because I didn't do my proper job by keeping, like I said, right when we started this answer, the integrity of what the movement was mm-hmm. and the staging was since day one. Yeah. And she would made it very clear that the only way that you can get people to respect you is by being untouchable when it comes down to the material that you know. And yeah. she wasn't wrong. Well, because the last thing you want is to be that person that's like, they're like, ooh, that dance captain. Ooh, he's a mess. He never not. knows his steps. He's never, he doesn't know what's going on. And how are you supposed to lead a ship? Blind? Right. That's not going to work. And if <laughs> you want people falls. to run this ship with you and they don't trust you and they think that you think, mm, that's where, and the thing is, is that I'm so grateful for Mia because she never let me get to that place mm. ever. Because she's not like that. Right. And I essentially am an extension of her. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, go off Mia Michaels because you created yes. a hell of a performer. Yeah. But no, it's no monster. Trust me. You're if anything, you're like like Sully from Monsters Inc. and you're like the teddy bear. <laughs> she 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 really when she had called me when she saw the movie West Side. Ugh. And it was because when I was getting that phone call, I was like, I saw her phone ringing and I hadn't talked to her in a really long time. And she had texted me saying, I had just saw West Side. Wow. And it, it was oh. the best feeling in the world, what she had said to me. And it was a really great opportunity for me to tell her. I was like, you know, all these great things that you're saying to me. And after all the things that we have been through and all the majority, all of them were great. Some of them were hardships, but it's because she, she, she really, really, really did it out of love. She really Mm -hmm. wanted me to be the best. And it was a really great feeling to tell her that she was a huge part of me being in that movie and a huge part of how (sighs) I really got a chance to really make sure that I was seen and work hard and make sure that, like I said, that it was always about the work. Right. And obviously, you can tell, I mean, just with what you're saying right now, I mean, how special it was and you leading by example and everything, how hard it was for when you left. Um, I know there's a very famous picture and all these videos that were documented of that night. And for those who saw the show that night, I there's like I there's people like I reached out to that I was like oh my god Julius is coming on the show and they were like you had to ask him about his last show and how emotional it was oh my god it was so emotional it, actually it was all good until I saw you I know Stop. And when I was like I was like oh god and then you started crying and then all the boys started crying <laughs> and I was like oh man I was always the first how to cry not cry when you see these precious little boys just bawling it's the worst. I could never keep it together. I couldn't. Like I, I was always. But I love that cry. about you. I, 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 I think that you should never let that change. But I had a job to do. <laughs> I was supposed to be performing. No, I think you should let that change. Oh my god! But again, but... that's like you know, you meet people like that, and like it's you take a piece of them with you, and you try to have that piece be a part of someone else. And I think that's just that whole, the beauty of being contagious when it comes down to how you make people feel and how you care for them yeah and yeah because i would only want the same yeah well i want to know like free from you because like i don't know like there was just something about like that night like i for me i feel like that was like harder than closing night like 
there I've never had an experience like that where I was just so upset to say goodbye to someone and like do you kind of like let yourself get attached when you're in a show in general and like do you have those emotional like moments every time um I will say that after like I said like yes this has been a fierce road about this me being like my sixth Broadway show and stuff like that but like what we were talking about before those six shows did not come so easily or or maybe they did because a lot of the shows that I did had closed so then I got a lot more shows under my belt in a shorter amount of time as opposed to being in a show for three four years and then but by those three four years one person can be in one show I ended up booking four right you know so it's have I since the shutdown and the pandemic have I gotten a little more reserved and how I attach myself to projects absolutely because Mm -hmm. really when you think about it yeah the material of the show and the show itself can be life-changing but really what's the most life-changing part about doing anything in this industry are the people you meet right people that change your lives and the people that you learn from and the experiences that you share with them in your personal time in your life and I, I want to say that Finding Neverland, because of how invested I was with creation, with Mia coming to Broadway and all those things, yes, it was an emotional roller coaster because you spend so much work being put into years and years of a show. Mm-hmm. And then like that, it's over. Right. And it's there's no, like, it's not like you're watching a season of a TV show and you know it's coming and you're like, oh wow. And then like, there's gonna be another season. No, but this is like the season finale of knowing that like, this is probably the end of the road. And it's not the show that you're gonna miss even though that could be a great part of it. It's the people you meet. So for that night, for me, it was like such an accumulation of victories and surviving a lot of personal trials. And at the end of the, you know, at the end of it all, being a part of, a beautiful Broadway show and really thinking to yourself, I'm on Broadway and I'm saying goodbye. And it's such a surreal moment because people dream for moments like that. Right. Their whole lives. People wish to be able to say that, you know, I'm on, this is, I'm leaving this Broadway show because I'm going to go do another one. And it's like, it's, it's, I'm very blessed and I'm very grateful. I've worked really hard to get here, but do I get attached? Yes. Do I show it more now? No. Mm. Interesting. Unless there's certain people, you know, like Moulin Rouge has been wonderful. It has been great. It's been, you know, I haven't been in the show for the past six weeks because of a medical leave and stuff, but I am super happy to be there. I love the experience, but I don't have that same connection to Moulin Rouge like I did with like Finding Neverland. Right. And I was, it's interesting. I, was, I had Fred on. I had Fred on the mm-hmm. podcast and we talked all about Moulin Rouge and I feel like he, his story with Moulin Rouge is co- comparable to, to yours with Neverland. I feel like exactly the same. Like I see Fred in the show with Sonia and like I, the irony is that Fred and I first met doing Sonia Tae's company right. 16, 15 years ago back in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So when I auditioned for Sonia for Moulin Rouge, it was the first time that her and I were in the same dance room together in 10 years since working for her. What? So, That's so so it was 10 years when I walked into that room. It was the first time I saw her in 10 years since the last time we worked together when I was 19. I was oh my God. Baby. I was a baby. I was hard-headed. I was probably very, 
you probably couldn't tell me a damn thing. And <laughs> so Sonia and I had left on kind of some kind of rocky roads, but you Got know, it. I was, and she was young too, you know, but coming into this job was full circle. But every time I see Fred, Fred has a track in the show. I call him the mule. Uh-huh. And I look at him and I'm like, damn girl, Mike, you're me from finding Neverland. Yeah. And I, and it's funny because it's like, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, and I'm so happy to not be you. Oh no. <laughs> oh, poor Fred. And I say that with love. I say that with love. He was like, it's okay, girl. Cause I was so happy to not be you at finding Neverland. And I was like, yeah, see, there you right. go. I think a lot of us can say that. Oh my God, you poor things. You know, there's certain projects that you want to, there's certain projects that you, if it does come up, like, would you want to be a dance captain for this? You're like, let me really think that through because it's a lot of hours. Right. A lot of hours more than people think. Well, since we're on the topic of Moulin Rouge, I want to talk to you about, so, okay. Moulin Rouge has allowed you to be a Broadway principal and go on in a principal role uh, a few times as Santiago. Yep. Tell me about this. What was this experience like the first time you went on? And like, does it ever get old? Well, it's crazy because the show, we started up in September. Yes. And we started in September, the shows, and we've had rehearsals before that. And the show's only been open, what? It hasn't even been open for six months? No. Not even. Well, wasn't it open like before the pandemic? It was over before the pandemic, but I didn't join it until after because I wasn't frozen before. So you're saying like six months in September? Yeah, six months into the reopening. Got it. But, okay. So we started September and then it was like, yeah, we started the end of September, mm-hmm. middle end of September. And my birthday was October 10th and I got a phone call October, October 10th was a Sunday. Okay. October 11th was a Monday that we were off. I got a phone call October 12th, three weeks after opening. Ricky is sick. Uh-uh. I think you're going to do Santiago tonight. And I'm like, wow. Okay. We're going to have you rehearsed this. I had rehearsed 75% of it. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> but the other 25%, you know me, I'm not going to get got. And I already rehearsed myself and watched those videos. I was like, of course. let me do my homework because Lord only knows. Yeah. But let me tell you something. If I would have gotten that phone call on October 11th, the day after my birthday, I probably would have been fired that day because it was my birthday. So right. the day after I, ooh, I, ooh, the day after I sounded, I sounded unwell. That's I okay. Been, I should have been in a crypt and thank <laughs> God. So I did a show on Tuesday and I did a show on Wednesday and I'm really grateful because I'd much rather be in a position if it happens where if you are doing coverage that you do the role sooner than later mm-hmm. so that everyone knows what you can and cannot do or what you could work on or if you do it well you do it great you save the show etc cetera, etc cetera. right as opposed to being rehearsed for months and months and months and months and months every single week until the day that you go on and i didn't have that scenario and did this little Dominican boy who came from the island to Miami ever think that he was going to be a principal on Broadway, let alone playing a Latin role on Broadway that does not exist, was the coolest feeling in the world because I remember five years ago, 
I went to go visit Fred in Boston mm-hmm. to the opening to go see the opening of Moulin Rouge on Bro- um, in Boston before their Broadway run. And I remember watching the show and being what 30 years old sitting there pretending then feeling feeling like I was like 12 years old being like I'm gonna play that one day the same mm-hmm. thing that when you have dreams when you're a teenager and you see Broadway and you're like I'm gonna play that one day or I can do that that's exactly how I felt because yeah. I've never seen anybody that look like me that does anything like Hispanic anything and I was like there's no way that I can't do the same way that I said that about on your feet I was like I need to be in that show I need to be in that show because it's a show that represents me and I think it's a really, 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 really cool opportunity because I, even to me to this day, I definitely surprise myself when I put myself and my mind to something and manifest it and work for it. And that has happened. Now, the irony is that six weeks ago, I was rehearsing doing an understudy run to do a full week of Santiago. Right. Because Ricky was leaving on vacation to go see his family back in Paris, the guy who plays it now. And... I tripped and fell over a set piece and a blackout that wasn't supposed to be there. And I was out of the show for six weeks. And crazy enough, five days later was the first COVID case that popped up at the theater. And then on that Tuesday, and then that Wednesday, another one popped up and then they canceled shows the rest of the week. So I guess it just goes to show you that if I couldn't play him, nobody could. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't with you. Why did I know that, that you were, that was going there? I well, just to there. show you that if I can't play him, I guess nobody will. No, but the, oh my God. like jokes aside though, it is such an exhilarating experience. Right. And people were like, my cast members were like, or my friends were like, oh my God, are you just so sad? You're not going to play it right now? And I was like, no, I can wait. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, because... That's why principals get paid what they get paid because it's a lot of work. It's right. very different than being in the ensemble. It's a lot sweatier because you're in the ensemble, you're not in that spotlight 24 seven where you're sweating your face off. I remember seeing Ricky go on. I'm like, wow, he has like a little like bandana thing in his costume for his sweat. I was like, I'm not gonna need that. Uh, I barely sweat. Boy, uh-uh. when I went out there for the first show, uh-uh. I was like, I was, of course, the adrenaline's going through me. Right. I'm wearing, I'm like, wow, whew, that spotlight is hot. Right. The ensemble member, you don't get that spotlight. You're in the back. Oh, my God. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There are a lot of lights, but that one. Is... But that spotlight is hot. to the hot. Right. And I was like, this is what I get for forgive my language talking shit about Ricky saying, oh, I don't uh. need a towel. And here I am looking like a drowned, harassed cat. 
my so, god. But yeah, it was it's really exciting because it's it makes me I think like the older I get or seeing not necessarily the older I get only, but seeing the types of shows that are out and being produced and created that um not many of them spark a lot of interest and like mm. joy to want to be a part of. And I'm incredibly lucky to have Moulin Rouge because it is the show for me and it is the perfect, perfect place for me to be in in my life and let alone covering a role that was made for people who look like me. Yeah, it's so special. So. It, yeah, it's a great spot. And I mean, this, I feel like this year has been like, the breakout year for Julius because like you've been showing your acting, you're singing, you're dancing everywhere. Like, oh my god, I feel like Ariana DeBose. I know who's she. I've never heard of her. I don't. I never don't know heard of her. her. She's she's no no her. Yeah, I don't know Ben Platt, Ariana. No, Golden never. Globe, I don't know what. What is that? What is? Did she? No, she didn't host SNL. That's not the one. Um, <laughs> but no, literally, I mean like. First Moulin Rouge and you're killing it there. And then West Side Story comes out and you're playing a lead role there. First of all, I didn't even know you were playing Kike. Like what? Well, I mean, like I knew like that was your name. And but obviously, like he's not in like the show, like the musical and like the previous productions that we've seen. So it's like, oh, like, who is that? Who are you playing? And then you go see it and you're like, what? I, I texted you and I was like, Julius, like, how did you, like, you didn't tell anybody. I definitely, I definitely, I definitely undersold myself. Yeah. Only because of the fact that like, <clears throat> you know, film and TV works very different. You can film hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of film, of footage and you're in two seconds of it. Mm-hmm. And it really can come down to like anything, whether if it moves the story forward, if the lighting didn't strike that day, if the hair, look, there's so many things to it. And like, I didn't want to be the person that's like, hey, you may catch a familiar face tonight on Law and Order SVU, tune in. And then you tune in and you're like, oh, oh. you're like, I was in the body bag. And right. You're like, wow. <laughs> I'm you're like really that was you like yeah but like we they like had a moment where they like zip my face up but they like <laughs> oh well mama then you shouldn't have said anything to begin with right oh my god you know so I but I knew you know like the conversations that we had before I knew <laughs> as we were filming the movie and as we were rehearsing the movie it was the same because of the fact that like we had eight weeks of rehearsal, they didn't let us see the script till week six because they were still developing the roles, these new roles for the sharks. Mm -hmm. This is the first reincarnation of West Side that you finally get to have an insider look and be a fly on the wall, literally, of what it was like to be a shark when the original productions of it only showcase what happens with the Jets. The Jets are the only ones that have official names outside of the shark girls. So I... I, I, I sound like I'm bragging when I say this and it, Tony Kushner wrote that for me. Yeah. And he, him and Steven wrote that and wrote all the other sharks trajectories after seeing our relationships in rehearsal, mm-hmm. seeing our banter with each other in rehearsal, seeing our, <clears throat> I guess you could see the age difference of the hierarchy of the gang. 
Right. And if you watch the original West Side Story and you see Bernardo come out the movie and you see Bernardo and his two best friends and those two guys that are with him in the prologue and the opening of the movie, those two guys were fully realized in this version. Right. Now, that whole big scene and the scenes that I had in the movie, I it's fascinating to me because... I was not a role that was ever in the previous forms of it, but it was such a cool day because that scene itself was one of the newer brand new scenes that they had wrote for the movie that really didn't exist. Yes, there's an interaction between Tony and Maria when they're on the subway train, which is really cool. When yeah. they go to Oysters, which is really cool. And you really get to see New York in the 50s and it's like most glorious light. But the day that we were shooting that scene and if the people who haven't seen it, there's a scene between me and Chino where Chino finally gets an opportunity in the storyline to show people one, how he got the gun, mm. two, what he's gonna do with it, and three, what drives him to be the most, you know, uh, the biggest part and t- plot twist of the entire, I guess you could say show. And Steven Sondheim came to set that day. Wow. And it was me and like three of the other sharks and this fabulous actor named Iris who plays um, anybody's. And Stephen Sondheim was there because Stephen wanted to see this new addition to his his baby, I guess you could say. And I got nervous in this, like anybody would, that I was like, this could be terrible. This could not work. This is a brand new scene that has never been in any West Side. And... I didn't know if it could get, it could have gotten completely cut. Right. Wow. And it did not. And it was really wonderful because it, I'm just really grateful that I got the camera time that I did. And I'm not trying to like preach or like vindicate that getting camera time validates you as a performer, but I got the camera time because I spent a lot of, lot of time building an arc for Kike. Right. And I built an arc for him and it sounds like I'm such an actor. Listen to me. No, I built it because of, the journey that was rehearsals and the opportunity and this great moment to wear a crown that was given to me of this role Kike and bring it to life. The same way that you would if you were an original Broadway cast member where you're building stuff from the ground up on your body, your voices, your face, your look. Right. So I use everything that I learned in theater on film. Mm. And even if I wasn't one of the top five people if I wasn't Anita, if I wasn't Renardo and whatnot, and, you know, they have obviously like their built-in arcs and they had their most attention to them because they are the principals, but I didn't let that get in my way to still continue like silly things like the continuity of my jacket and dance at the gym. So then I knew that my jacket would come into play in that war council scene, like mm-hmm. little things like that, that if you would watch the movie, and you would step out of your own self. Right. What would you want to be seen as? What do you want for like the things in the background that are happening that create so much depth? I just wanted to create so much depth and so much, you know, texture to this once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. I'm like, you know, there's, it's such a cool way of working and it's such a cool way of really compartmentalizing your brain because unlike theater, you do not work 
in show order. You do not work in run order. The first scene we shot as a camera test for West Side was us jumping over the fences for the prologue of, or not the prologue, for the quintet from America. Oh, wow. That was the first thing that we shot. And then the second thing we shot was Dance at the Gym. And oh then, my God. then after Dance at the Gym, we shot, which kind of went in order, was um, the war council scene. But then we went back and then we shot America over the course of three months. What? America took the longest to film because every single verse of when you're walking through the neighborhood is in a different part of New York. No way. There's one scene when we go into the boxing gym, the interior of the boxing gym was in Williamsburg. The outside of the boxing gym, when right before we go inside, was on 145th between St. Nick and Amsterdam. Wow. And then when we walked out of the the back alleyway of the uh, boxing gym, we shot that in Kew Gardens. Oh, oh my God. In Queens. That's insane. So it's like, and so when we do the big dance break finale at the end, the huge America finale, that was on like, on convent and like 147th or something in Harlem. But then the dance break before of the people up on the street, that was like on 128th in like Broadway. So it's like there every single moment was shot somewhere completely different. So then you as an actor need to remember what you did, what you look like and how you were trying to perceive yourself. Because yes, there's a lot of moments that were taught choreographically, but like, it was fierce. One day you get paid full pay. One day when I got, I, I got, they brought me in, took me three hours to do my hair and put on my costume. Oh, and then I just ran, the shot was running from the alleyway behind the boxing gym into the next shot. And I, I worked for 30 minutes <laughs> and then they let me go. Movie I magic. drove all the way an hour and 15 minutes to go to Queens you know, like these are champagne problems. And I was like, oh, that's, I'm like, I got spent more time in a makeup chair and a hair chair than I did actually filming. So, but that's yep. what's so cool about being able to like have that kind of, you know, encourage all performers to like, especially stage performers that you too are validated enough to be able to be considered for film and TV. You have what it takes to be on film and TV. And that was the greatest thing about Westside is that Westside did what no other musical film does unless it was like dancing in the rain uh, or singing in the rain and whatnot is Stephen had the opportunity because he is Stephen and he is the biggest name is that he hired everybody from Broadway, everybody from theater, or if they were handpicked performers from Puerto Rico themselves. Right. And that's why the movie I feel like transcends so much is because it really, really was built from theater from the ground up. And that's why there's so much integrity to it because there was no shortcuts taken. These are the livelihoods of people and not to say anything against Hollywood movies, but in this particular case, the defense is they use real theater talent. Right. And that's another thing you could tell, like the Broadway community was represented. The Latinx community was represented. Like everything was done properly. And it wasn't like you said, like it, there was there were no shortcuts. They didn't worry. Yes, they had um, Angel Igor or I don't even I may Ansel. not be. Yeah, Ansel. Um, but like, other than that, they weren't focused on getting these big names for these leading roles. Like they were willing to get the actors who could tell the stories. And like, 
that's what Hollywood should be. They got big actors who became big names. Right. Amen. And I think that's what was so beautiful about this movie and why it was so uh, powerful and so moving as someone, as an audience member, like seeing it, how they, how it moved them. I think that this version did a lot more for me than, than the original version. And I think a lot of that had to do with the going into all, uh, all the characters and everyone had all the backstories. Yes. All of it had there. It was just very well um, presented and very well like put together. And it was very, it was very, it was very taken care of. And, you know, like I, I like to tell people this quick little story about Steven and the reason why that he decided that West Side Story was the one for him is because when he grew up, he grew up in it, like I think New Mexico or Arizona or something like that, where his family only listened to classical music. That's all they had in their house. Mm. And then one day his dad showed up with a vinyl record of <clears throat> Leonard Bernstein's West Side Story. And since Leonard Bernstein is a classical composer, that's how West Side wiggled its way into the house. And a Stephen said that was the first time he ever heard lyrics, which was Mr. Stonheim's words. And it was the first time that, you know, back then there was no Broadway tours, there was no TV, there was no, you know, Tony's televised. So when there was Broadway, you'd only could see things on Broadway because there was no media like that. There was no digital right. era like that. So he was forced to envision and imagine what it would be like in his head hearing this music. And he had told us that he got a composition book, those little black and white composition books, and he started sketching little stick people of what he thought was happening in that moment and get out in his defense it was the birth of him becoming an aspiring director was what's that story what so that's why the movie has such every single moment had such care to yeah because this is what you would legitimately call a passion project for him now, I want to ask you, because I, I feel like we could both agree that like the the character arcs and the additional characters that were added just made the story better. Like in in these say, I mean, obviously, West Side Story gets revived often. Um, would you prefer to like what do you hope to see Kike and the other roles that have been added into these revivals? I think so. And not even for the sake of like my own selfish reason. It's just like real talk as a hispanic person mm-hmm. we're like oh you must love west side story because you know america i'm like what? first off there's more to latin people than just america <laughs> right but that's not their fault it's broadway's fault mm. because the show may have had the racial s- split but you never got any information from sharks and even like not being a jet this movie made me understand jets and their journey and what tony to me the real star of the movie is tony kushner's screenplay because every single segment that goes in between each song really has such a smart way and an ingenious way of of binding song and dance and great acting. And it was so cool because I never cared for the show like I did for this movie, not because I was in it, but 
you care for the Jets because they're just as messed up as the Sharks. And you also care for the Sharks because you actually give them the time of day. Right. Which social commentary, brown people don't really get that all the time. Mm -hmm. And let alone black people. So it's like, it's really, 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 really wonderful that the attention to detail of representation has been so planned out and so thought out that I would love to see that version of it. I would love to see, you know, <clears throat> instead of just hearing Consuela right. or Anita or Rosalia, there's other parts, not just for the sake of here are brown actors. No, that scene in particular with Kike, <clears throat> to me really, really sets, sets the stakes so high for the journey that Chino's going through because he finally had a moment to let the, well, I guess the world had a moment to really see that, you know, like in the Broadway show, like Chino just shows up with the gun and then boom, it's over. And you're like, yeah. what? how the hell did he get that gun? Oh, yeah. we're done. We're applauding. Oh, it's the finale. Everyone's dead. Clap, 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 clap. And then you're like, well, then by that point, you forget. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a drop off. It was kind of like, a, well, let's just make this character the one that kills him. Right. But this version, you see it because there's so much human connection about what the stakes are in that one moment and i think it's great i think it's great that you get to see what it's like for them that it was just as much their struggle their fault as it was the other ones the other side of the table absolutely and like was there like any sort of like I mean, obviously, West Side Story, like all these characters are well known. Like, I feel like everyone kind of had a blueprint in like you having this new role. You didn't really have that sort of blueprint. Did you find any like challenges with that? Or like, did you just enjoy kind no, of doing I it? Think, I, didn't, I don't think there was like a challenge to it because Tony and Steven were so smart with mm. David who plays Bernardo. Right. David and I got along since day one. Oh. And I think also I was naturally one of the older ones in the batch. Right. And so was David and him and I just paired off a lot more when it came down to how we took care of each other, how our heights were complementary of each other. And naturally speaking i became very protective of david because that was just the aesthetic that we were having and it was also like where steven had put me and tony had put me in their eyes before we found out what these roles were mm. and it was just really 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 cool because like it was all about communication and taking chances per se like theater theater you're taught to hit the same acting beat every single night Yep, And you have to hit the acting beat with time considered. In film, you should not do that. It's completely opposite. You shouldn't hit the same take every single time. You should keep it in the same realms, but there's something really microscopic about the tiniest influx that you can do on camera is very different than what would be picked up on stage. So I remember during that, like this war council scene, it's between me, Bernardo and Sebastian, Sebastian who plays Bradley, who's the other best friend. And then it's Riff and two other Jets. And there's like a moment in the scripts that Riff 
is making fun of us for saying something in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I was like, naturally, if somebody would do that to me, you're going to hear it from me or I'm going to get in your face. So I whispered in David's ear. I was like, hey, in this next take, I'm going to rush at him. Do you mind holding me back? He goes, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Because it felt natural. Right. And I was, and once you're in the moment or whatever, and they ended up keeping that cut. Yeah. Wow. The same way that like, you know, you just, you know, not this movie wasn't the case, but there's a lot of, sometimes you hear people that like the set, the cast did not get along. And sometimes you see it in their final product in the movie. Right. Sometimes they didn't get along like Sex in the City, but then they like their film, them on camera is incredible. Right. Like the Sex in the City cast didn't really get along. But when mm-hmm. those those seasons, they were amazing. We didn't know. Right. <laughs> like those Glee kids, they hated each other by season three, season mm-hmm. two, because they all thought that they were all, you know, and but they were so funny on camera. Yeah. And for us, with us, at least me, David and Sebastian, we really bonded together. And then once that script came out and we saw that we were who we were, it felt so right. Mm. and I was like oh I don't have to act this is exactly how I feel about this experience with David and these boys here and also like let's be even more real here I worked for that I worked to be seen as that that elder I worked to be seen as that someone that like I took I I just and you you know firsthand I definitely am the big brother type yep I don't like leaving nobody behind I don't like people feeling a certain way and I think Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg picked up on that. And that's what was so beautiful about the role of Kike because that really was me built from the ground up and also built from the inside out, even without me even realizing that. Yeah. And that's Tony for you. So did they like, yeah. So did they like tell you this like beforehand that they were like thinking about adding characters and then it just happened? They mentioned something They mentioned something in the beginning where they were like, they're like, yeah, they, um, they, they had me go in, they had us go in and this, we went in for one, I went in for one day of auditions and then I didn't hear anything for three months. Oh. Like, I was like, wow. I was like, well, there goes my shot. And, and it's only because they went to, and Steven Spielberg had told us that West Side Story was the most extensive casting search since wait for it schindler's list remember that and we were like he's like you know my 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 little film schindler's list we're like (laughs) (laughs) schindler's little film and then the other one that he was like he was like when he because we always talked about how the original West Side Story film, Jerome Robbins refused to have the Jets and the Sharks rehearse with each other. And he purposely had had them play pranks on each other and never oh. let them in the same room with each other until they had to film because he thought in his right mind that he really loved to shake the system up by ruining people's lives, by starting rumors. Like he just really liked to... And unlike, <laughs> unlike them, we were the opposite. Right. And when he saw us and we rehearsed every single day, we took ballet class every morning at 9 a.m. Ansel was there, Rachel was there, everybody was there. And he was like, we'd be on set. He'd be like, the last time I've seen this kind of camaraderie, he's like, it's one of my, he's like, 
Saving Private Ryan. Have you guys, do you guys know Saving Private Ryan? We're like, do, do we know I... Saving Private Ryan? <laughs> oh my God. He's like, oh, you guys I know can't... Saving Private Ryan? He's like, yeah, he goes, you guys remind me so much of them. And we were like, <laughs> tell me more, Stephen. <laughs> He's like, do you know Saving Private Ryan? We're like, uh, maybe. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> um, oh my God. I can't imagine. So yeah, and it's, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's and he would say that, and and you're just sitting there being like, "Wow, you, you're human, and you, yeah. you really, you know." And I remember asking him, I was like, "I was like, out of all the films that you have done, what's been the hardest?" His answer said, "West Side." Mm. I go, "So you're gonna pick West Side Story over dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, Jurassic Park, perhaps? Yeah. No, that's not the hardest one." Or you being in the middle of the army, where they say that's not hard. Right. Or you, Schindler's List, Holocaust. No, that's not hard. No, we're the hardest ones. He goes, yeah, it's the most difficult because I have thirty principles. Wow. Fifteen sharks, fifteen jets. Right. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, he goes, he just... goes, yeah, because every single one of you are principals. Did we get that same principal pay? No. But as far as like the sharks and the jets, he, they treated us all like so every day on set was really cool because they rotated the principal trailers for us. Oh, wow. So they'd be like, oh, okay, this today we're going to have so-and-so, 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 so-and-so be in the principal trailers and everyone's in the smaller ones and kind of oh, things like that. So, yeah. That's awesome. They were, because Stephen was, or the producers were like, well, we just don't have enough star trailers for 30 of you. There, he's like, we, we've rented all of them. Right. There's no trailers in the, the tri-state area because we have them all. Oh my God. I can't, I I mean, just like, it's just like a pinch me moment. Just like thinking about like Sondheim, Spielberg, Kushner, Spielberg, Kushner, like everyone, like that it is room wild. is just, and then, and then you talk about the actors and you have you, you have Ariana DeBose, you have Mike Feist, you have all these incredible performers that it's just like it's what a cool what a cool experience to be a part of and it's just you, you can tell you the work that you all put in especially you and um just to see you all shine up there it's just it was amazing it really was you could you could see the camaraderie you could see it all um and you could see the work that went into it seriously and I mean it's just so it's it's so cool just to, as like a friend as a fan as an audience member I love it it was amazing. It's just really cool because you know what comes down to one thing, everything comes from the top. And I think after everything that we have talked about and whatnot is how you want to be seen, how you want to be left to be, to be seen and how you want to be remembered. And like Steven, Tony, especially Steven, he took care of everybody, every grip, every actor, every person in front of camera, every person behind the camera. And that's what we're all, I would like to at least attain for everyone to remember is that we're all trying to create an empire here, but we're all trying to get to the same place. Right. So take people with you, treat them right, and you get the best out of them. And we were very, 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 very lucky and very, such a special, special opportunity to be taken care of, to be treated the best by literally the best. Mm-hmm. And I think so- that's like the Broadway community, like for, I mean, I could be, this is my own personal opinion, of course, like, the Broadway community is much more of a family than I feel like Hollywood. I feel like Hollywood is a lot more cutthroat and everyone's kind of in competition with each other. And like, so you could tell like with all of these Broadway actors coming together, 
and putting on this show, this Hollywood commercial movie, you could tell that it was unlike any other any other movie, you know? It was really it's it's no, I agree with you. It's just again, you get to be on a playground that is filled with people that you have grown up alongside of the industry working with, auditioning with, right. performing with, going out with, crying with, yeah. rejoicing with, getting losing jobs with, you know, and like it was it's like that feeling when you're like five years old and you first go to that McDonald's playground and it's like the best thing you've ever seen. <laughs> you know, and that's what it felt like. We showed up every day. It felt like we were on a playground. And we were on a playground being celebrated because we were theater kids. Yep. And you were playing, you were able to play yourselves and you were able to represent the communities that you all belong to. Like it was just, there was so much to it that everything was just done the way it should have been. And um, it translates. So um, I appreciate it. You mean the world to me. You've I'm so happy, so happy that we reconnected. And I'm so glad that this finally happened. And I oh my god, for you. Oh my god, it's it's a perfect place to leave off. And I know we've taken up enough of your time. I've we've been talking for way too long, but I could literally talk to you forever. Um, I love you. Um, Thank you you for doing this. This means the world to me, and I I always enjoy reconnecting. The next time you'll do this, you'll have your own channel and you'll have your own show. So that's all there is to it. (laughs) That's the goal. I'm I'm just thinking, I'm like, what am I gonna wear? You know, we're gonna have a camera crew. It's all right. I'll I'll have my stylist contact you. They'll set you up. I'm telling you, you're gonna (laughs) keep doing this, and like you'd be you'd be very surprised where hard work can take you because hard work doesn't tell you where to go. It just gets you there. Mm-hmm. Remember that. And that's on period. Tell you where to go. Just keep working hard and you'd be very surprised. Yeah. Make sure that everything you touch turns to gold. That's how I've always seen you as. So. Well, it's easy when I surround myself with amazing people such as you. Good. Yeah. It's, it's much easier that way. And it's definitely a good motivation to, to stay on the right path. So I appreciate you and everything that you've done for me and for this. I love you to the moon and back. Yes, same. Thank you so much. And congrats on everything. I cannot wait to see where you go next because I know absolutely. this is and just I'll the beginning. Soon. Yep, absolutely. I'll see you super soon. I love you very much. Thank you so much. I love so you much. too. Thank you. And there it is, folks. Julius Rubio Take a bow. I mean, come on. I I adore Julius so much. I adore his literally when I say that he is the hardest working person I have met on Broadway. He is he is that. And uh, to be honest, he's one of the most inspiring uh, people that I've worked with as well. Uh, just being able to to talk to him a little bit more and get to understand his his story to its fullest um, was wonderful. And the fact that he was willing to share that with us was was he a big moment for him and i i forever thank him for that and uh it was just a beautiful episode i love talking about all the things about west side story and how like obviously i had an episode with andrea burns who who was in the west side story but she had a smaller role as julius she had a different experience um and he was really able to talk to us about how the process of west side story really worked the fact that they didn't have a like set characters and they just let them play and they were that was their audition like that's one of the coolest things that i've ever heard and uh, i loved that as far as the uh, as far as a production 
I love that looking at it from a production standpoint. And I think that that was just a brilliant way to do it. And I think that that translated to the screen because you could see the dynamics and how, how well they worked and how well everyone kind of got along and they they understood their groups because those were their real groups in real life um so it was just interesting to, to to see these things and now to look to reflect it's like oh my god that makes total sense uh and all these things so and, and just him talking about both stevens steven sondheim and spielberg um i loved everything that he he had to say about you know the both of them saw something in me and allowed me to have a, a wonderful role that he will cherish forever and how he made his mother proud um and 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 just reflecting on neverland and all those wonderful things it was just it was so so good and i found it all so interesting just to hear um all about how uh west side story was kind of worked as a production as a whole um it was it was really brilliant and um i am grateful that he talked to us about all of the things neverland rouge um and of course west side story and on your feet uh he talked about all of it and uh hopefully the, i i know i i, I shouldn't even say hopefully because i know we're going to be seeing more of julius anthony rubio um he he's gonna kill it and he's gonna go on to do bigger and better things every time he books something because it's exactly what he's done julius you you're amazing and i i'm so grateful that you came on a long time overdue and uh it was great to catch up so with that being said, I hope you all enjoyed that that uh, interview, first of all, and, and more of an in-depth look into to West Side Story and everything else, um, and Neverland, and Neverland, of course. Um, and uh, I, I'm, But I'm not going to leave you all uh, just yet. We're going to do a Drama Dictionary Word of the Week, which I love to do. So let's talk about lines, okay? This week's Drama Dictionary Word of the Week is going to be lines. So Julius talked a lot about like, you know, he saw, he, he was looking through his script and he was like, oh, that's my line. Wait, you want me to say that? Blah, blah, blah. And like a line, like it, you, if you listen to that and you thought of a line, like, oh, maybe it was a line of like his character and what direction he was supposed to go in. Or if it was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of things that, that portrays to a line. But in when we talk about it in the entertainment industry, our lines are the dialogue of, of, a, of a piece of art, uh, of a work. So the words, the uh, lines are the words that the actors say in a performance. So when I say, oh, I have, I, Julius was looking through the page and he was like, oh my God, I have so many lines. Like I have to learn all of these lines. That means he had to memorize what this character is trying to say and what story he's, he is um, trying to tell. And oftentimes, especially in film, uh, theater not so much. Theater, it's, more, it's a little bit more particular. But in film, it's a, it's a little bit looser. It's not 100% looser, but it is. Um, and basically, oftentimes in films, the, the lines are kind of there as a guide. And once you understand your character and you're, you're understanding the path that it's going on, the character's taking and the arc of the character and everything in between, um, usually those lines will, will tell you what needs to be told. Um, and then once you live that and you're put in the situation with the other performers and, and your scene partners and everything like that, usually you have uh, some flexibility within your lines. And so um, obviously when I say Julius had to memorize all these lines, you know, Julius could have very well um, added his own lines to that as well. 
Um, and in that case, it would still be uh, a line in the show, whether you created that line or not. I mean, he he talked about how, it, you know, in these different scenes, he created these own little things that Kike did. Um, and, and that goes for lines and that goes for um, any type of, of dialogue that you see in, in film and TV. Oftentimes, uh, the majority of it, it comes from the actor. Um, so that's a very cool thing I just talk about. It's a little bit uh, of it's a little combination of both Eli's entertainment experience, um, just from the personal experience that I've had and just experience within the industry that that's the common trend of lines, um, as well as a drama dictionary telling you all this is what we mean by lines when we say lines in our industry. So there you have it. Hopefully that was helpful. That's all I have for you folks today. Uh, very exciting stuff along the way. We are heading into Black History Month, and I cannot wait to uh, feature Black stories and uh, Black artists uh, within these next couple podcasts. And um, hopefully you guys tune in and continue to enjoy all of this great stuff. We have a lot of great stuff uh, also coming as bonuses. Um, whether it's on our social media, on Patreon, etc. So be sure to check those out. And uh, as always, have a great week. Continue to stay safe. Uh, I know this variant is crazy. Um, and head out to, to see a Broadway show because, uh, you know, it's safer than uh, going to a bar or going out to dinner with your family because you have to take your mask down. And at Broadway show, you cannot. Um, just, a, just a thought. Uh, anyways. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. <laughs> For this episode's curtain call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Tessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com TAB. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe on the platform that you're currently listening to this on. Also, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at TakeAboutPodcast. TakeAbout's logo is designed by Giselle Bustos, and the music is by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon. Bye, everyone. Hope to see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.